Today, the scripture is from Habakkuk um, chapter 2, 12 through 14. It will be on the screen up there. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire, that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Morning, church. As we settle into 2023, we get to move together into what I consider is a very exciting sermon series. There's, uh, I can say that there's never been a sermon series that's been longer in the making than this one. Um, about a year ago, over a year ago now, Pastor Dale came to us, pastors and elders, and he brought up the fact that we don't talk about our mission statement, our vision, and our core values very much. And we started to ask the question, why? Like, why is that? Is it, is it because we don't believe them? Like, that'd be a problem, wouldn't it? Or, or could it be something else? And as we meditated on that question, why, what we arrived at as our conclusion was that they weren't stated simply enough, and there weren't few enough of them for us to regularly remember them and say them and use them as a community and as pastors. So what we began was over a year-long process through many different things of the church slowing this down and, and taking a while to think and pray about these things to come up with a new set of vision, mission, and value statements Now, we're really excited to share these with you, and our hope is that the Lord would use these new value statements to shape the direction of our church that we're going together. So we have a common direction, a common thought, and that we're able to use common language with one another. Right? We had a lot of discussions about these things. Some of these discussions were really hard, really hard discussions, And we believe that God broke through and helped us to say what we're trying to say in a succinct and helpful way. So what we're going to be sharing over the course of the next five weeks is a vision statement, a mission statement, and three values. And guess what? There's five of us pastors. So you're going to get to hear from each one of us over the next five weeks as we discuss each one of these things. The one that we're going to be talking about this morning is our vision statement. A vision statement captures where we're going. The mission and the values are going to more fill in how do we get there. So today's the direction. Today's more of the heart that's going to fuel everything that we do. We do a bunch of things, right? And have a bunch of practices and have a mission together, but don't know our destination. It's not going to help us very much. If we don't know what it is that we want and that we're after, we're going to find ourselves pittering out and fizzling out. So we have to know where we're going and what we're after if we're going to walk out all these things together. So that, I'm very excited to share with you our vision statement. Our vision, church, is to glorify God by multiplying worshipers of Jesus and healthy churches in the Twin Cities and beyond. Our vision is to glorify God by multiplying worshipers of Jesus and healthy churches in the Twin Cities and beyond. 
Now, how do we get a vision statement like that? Like, does it just pop into our heads while we're praying? Is it, is it something that we think is really catchy and trendy and might attract people to the church and grow the church? My hope this morning is to show us that this direction, this vision, comes from God's heart in the scriptures. This isn't something that we pastors has dreamed up or thought is a good idea. This is something that God thinks is a good idea. In fact, it's his main idea. And we see it everywhere in the scriptures. We're going to look at one place this morning where we see it in the book of Habakkuk. It's not a book that we spend a lot of time in. And yet there's a statement in this book, there's a little part of this book that gets at what is God's big purpose and big heart in the world, and we want to understand what God's big purpose and big heart in the world is so that we can have it too, amen? Now, just for a little context, in the book of Habakkuk, it's kind of hard to say, it's a time when the kingdom of Babylon is the big dog on the block, and they're devouring other nations viciously. And Habakkuk is a prophet, and he has revelations from God about the coming judgment against this evil kingdom. We're just going to read one of those little sayings he has, because at the end of this little prophetic saying in this part of the book, he's going to have God's big purpose, God's big heart that we want to join in aiming for. So as we walk through this passage of scripture, it's going to start with a picture of a broken world in which we inhabit with broken kingdoms like Babylon, and it's going to end with the big direction God is moving in. So that's just the flow of the passage. That's, that's where we're going. So let's take a look at the word, at Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 12. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town with injustice. Woe is not a word that we use very often. It means judgment. Like, if, if you were to say woe to someone, it means a judgment is coming upon them. Who is the judgment coming upon? There's a judgment coming upon those who build a city with bloodshed and establish a town by injustice. This is referring to the nation of Babylon in that day and the nations like Babylon who build their kingdoms and empires, hear this, at the expense of others. See, there's bloodshed and injustice that are building kingdoms. So the building is happening at the expense of others. One thing that happens when we read the Bible is we find that kingdoms like Babylon are not just isolated examples. They're actually representative of human cultures and representative of human beings. We live in a fallen world where people like me also try to build up my reputation at the expense of others. What we're getting here is not just a picture of Babylon, but a picture of the broken world that we inhabit. This is not foreign from other places in the Bible we've been so far. In our series on Genesis that we just walked through, We saw people like Cain and Nimrod who shed blood and built corrupt cities that opposed God. As we walked through Genesis, we saw a picture of the world that we live in. This is a verse that's referring to the world as we know it. Now, I'm not a particularly violent person by God's grace. Like, I don't 
use my body to hurt other people. But I still hurt other people when I try to build myself up at their expense. And so when I hear this verse, when we hear this verse, we should think, this is still speaking to us today. Now, verse 13 transitioned to what is the judgment that's coming against Babylon and those like Babylon who build themselves up at other people's expense. Let's hear verse 13 together. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire and the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? God's righteous response to Babylon and those like Babylon is to unmake the things that they have made. The fire that's coming signals like the destruction of what they've made. The exhausting themselves for nothing is the purposelessness that their lives have amounted to. An image you could think of as the Tower of Babel where it, ended, it was supposed to be a tower that reached into the heavens. It ended up being only a half-built ruin with everyone scattered around the world speaking different languages. Destruction and purposelessness was the end of a life of opposing God. That's where it ended up. That's the judgment that comes. The Lord Almighty is the one who executes the judgment. No matter how strong any individual is or any kingdom it is, anyone who opposes God loses And destruction and futility is what follows. That's the truth that this is being grounded in right here. Even the greatest work, no matter how successful it is in the world and in the eyes of man, if it's not done for God, it's done against God, and it won't ultimately amount towards anything in eternity. If you're not following God, no matter what you're accomplishing, won't amount for anything in eternity when Jesus comes back and remakes the world. What verse 13 is saying, and I find this so curious, is that God is emptying the world of something. His heart is to empty the world of rebellion. His world is to empty the world of folly. His, world, his will is to empty his world of pride and presumption, which is so interesting because when we started the story of the Bible in Genesis a few months ago, we saw that God's heart was to fill the world. Remember that? God's heart was to fill the world with his image, with life, with abundance, with himself. And then in this passage, we see that God is emptying the world. So when human beings send things awry, when human beings send things off course, they started filling the world with pride and violence, things that do not honor God, things that hurt other people, things that distort the world God has made. And God's heart is to empty the world of those things. And if at the end of this process, God emptied the world and left it a void and empty wilderness, left it with nothing within it, that would be a just response to our sin. That would be just. But what blows me away in this passage is that God's heart is better than I thought it would be. His heart is good. What we see in the next verse is that God doesn't just empty the world to empty it. He empties it to fill it with something else. God is working purposely here. He's emptying the world of these things in order to fill it with something else. What does he want to fill it with? What is God's purpose? We see this in verse 14. Turn your attention to this verse with me, please. For the earth 
will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Can I read that again? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. My God that I serve and follow blows me away when he makes statements like this. He's not just emptying the world of rebellion against him to empty the world of rebellion. He's emptying it of rebellion to fill the world with his glory. Like, it's hard to even understand how powerful he is, how good he is, how wise he is, and how generous he is with people who don't deserve these things. His purpose is to fill the world with the knowledge of his glory as the waters cover the sea. I want us to take some time breaking down and meditating on that phrase, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. We start off with the word knowledge. And oftentimes when we think of knowledge, we think it's talking about knowing things. Like people will know things about the glory of the Lord. But in the scriptures and in this passage, knowledge is not about knowing things as much as experiencing someone else. So when you see this word knowing in the story of the Bible, it means having an intimate encounter with someone else. In the Garden of Eden, in Genesis, it says Adam knew his wife Eve. Right? And so what this verse is talking about when it talks about the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, it's talking about an intimate encounter with God. Having an uh, interaction with him, having an intimate knowledge of his glory. So it's not just about knowing things, it's about knowing someone. Now what then is the glory of the Lord? Glory comes from the Hebrew word that means weight. Like something heavy. This is heavy. It signals the worthiness and significance of someone that surpasses all others. Someone who's glorious has a worthiness and significance that surpasses all others. Kings in the ancient world would dress themselves up with bright robes and set themselves up on high thrones in an attempt to display their glory, their attempt to display their weight as being more valuable, more important, more significant than anyone else. The difference between God and a human king is that God actually is glorious. God actually is significant. God actually is worthy. There's human beings who play dress up and try to be what God actually is. God actually is that thing. Did you know that there is someone who we call God who is so worthy that if we spent all of our lives focusing on him, it wouldn't be enough? He's worthy of all of that. He's worthy of every action, every thought, every deed. One of the great effects and ramifications of sin is that we become unaware of the glory of God. And one of the great works of God is when he makes us aware of who he is again so that we can start responding rightly to who he is. I submit to you this morning that if you're not following God with everything you are, it's because you've forgotten his glory. 
And he wants to remind you of that this morning so you can respond to something that's worthy of all of your heart and attention. Remember the verses before talking about how Babylon is being built for futility? When we don't live for something that's ultimately meaningful and purposeful, we live for something that's ultimately meaningless and purposeless. And when we're called to live together for God's glory, we're called to live for someone whom serving will matter forever. God's calling you to do something that will matter forever. For God to say that he's going to fill the world with his glory is to say he's planning to make the world again as it was at the start. Before sin. Before death. Before cancer. Before pride. When God first made the world, there was a garden and there was abundant life. And most importantly is that God was accessible to everywhere and to everyone. That was the world that God made. It was a world filled with God's glory. People experienced God and they experienced his rich abundance. For the world to be filled with his glory again means that that will be true again. Is that what you want? Which means that these verses are saying the amazing thing that God is not simply planning to empty the world of rebellion and evil. He's planning to fill the world with himself. God is planning to fill this world, this broken, fallen, imperfect world with himself. How extensive will this glory be? How far will it go? Is it going to be in some parts of the world and not other parts of the world? Is there going to be some of the world that's committed to God's glory and some of it that's not? Is there going to be some nations that celebrate and love God and some who don't? It says God's glory will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. How much of the sea is covered with water? Every last bit of it. Just as every last bit of this world will one day be filled with God and his glory like it was originally meant to be. This world is not the world that God originally designed. This is the world that we created through our stumble, fall, and pride. And God's saying, that will not have the last word. Human sin will not have the last word. I will have the last word. And this world will be as I intended it to be. You might think, Isn't that a little narcissistic or or, or self-centered of God to be so focused on himself and wanting to put his glory and reputation or renown everywhere? That's oftentimes how our hearts can respond to this truth. Like when we want to be the center of the universe and someone else says they're actually the center of the universe, we think, wait a second, why are you saying that? The fact of the matter is, Since God is the source of life and it's his presence that brings life, it's actually the most loving thing in the world for him to spread his glory through the earth. I'm going to say that again. Since God is the source of life, the most loving thing he can do is spread his glory throughout the whole world. It's what I need more than anything in the world. It's what you need more than anything in the world. When God spreads his name and reputation and his self and his presence through the world, it's actually helping every person in the world. There's no better good, no, no more necessity, nor, nothing more necessary than experiencing God everywhere. 
So God's not only just glorifying himself, he's helping people like you and me when he makes himself accessible to us. So, in the story of the Bible, how does this happen? How does God take his glory global? How does God take his glory from an earth that's not filled with it, that's filled with pride and brokenness, and take himself and take his glory global? How does he do that? The tide never turns. Things never get out of the spiral of descent and brokenness that they're in until the one life of Jesus of Nazareth. That's where there's the turn of the tide. That's where things begin to change. His greatest, unlike all others, Jesus never lived for himself at the expense of others. Jesus never lived for himself at the expense of others. Jesus lived for the glory of God by serving others. Jesus is the unique human being. There's never been a human being like him because when he came, he poured himself out for others instead of pouring others out for him. There's no greater moment in Jesus' life where he revealed the glory of God, where he brought the glory of God to earth, than when he died on the cross. It's where he utterly emptied himself for the sake of others. And at that moment, God met the deepest need of humanity. At that moment where he's hanging on the cross to make broken sinners right with God, we see what a God we serve. Is there ever a moment besides that moment where God's greatness is more on display than when he's meeting the deepest need of sinners through the sacrifice of his son? These nations enriched themselves with bloodshed. They built the city on bloodshed. Jesus didn't build the city on bloodshed. He had his bloodshed. Jesus didn't found a town on iniquity. He, I'm sorry, on injustice. He suffered injustice to heal other people. So I want to say this morning that if you're here and you don't have a purpose in your life and you don't know Jesus and you've never seen the glory of God and you've never had your sins forgiven, we want you to follow Jesus with us. So would you please do that? You're invited to come to him this morning. In the process of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, so Jesus didn't stay dead, he rose from the dead. In the process of his life, death, and resurrection, he rescues sinners who start to live the same kind of life that he did. Jesus was a man who did the greatest thing any human being could ever do. He experienced the glory of God and he shared that glory with other people. That's the greatest life a human being can ever live, experiencing the glory of God and sharing that with other people. When you come to Jesus and he forgives you of your sins, he turns your life around and you start to live the same kind of life. You start to experience the same kind of glory he experienced and you start to share the glory of God with other people. Do you want to live that kind of life? Do you want to follow that kind of savior? who takes you from the empty road of living for yourself onto the road of living for others, doing things that will change the eternal destiny of other people and bring glory to God forever, to get purpose behind your life? 
When you follow Jesus, you stop pointing people to yourself and start pointing people to him. Right before, when you point people to yourself, there's nothing yourself can actually give them. That's why you don't bring life to other people when you don't follow Jesus. But when you follow Jesus, you start pointing people towards the life source and you start bringing life and blessing to other people around you. It changes everything about your life when you surrender to him and start to live for him rather than yourself, is you start to bring the life into the world that God originally designed the world to have. The Apostle John wrote this about Jesus, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son of God, full of grace and truth. When Jesus came, he brought glory. To encounter Jesus is to encounter the glory of God. To follow Jesus is to start to spread the glory of God to other people. This brings us to our vision statement. So far, we've seen that God created the world for his glory, that he intends the world for his glory, and that Jesus came to fill the world with his glory. So that brings us to our mission statement this morning. I'm sorry, our vision statement. Our vision is to glorify God by multiplying worshipers of Jesus and healthy churches in the Twin Cities and beyond. That's our destination. That's where we're going together. That's where us pastors are inviting you to go with us. Right? So so for us to leave whatever paths we were on, whatever directions we were headed in, and instead all of us collectively together to put ourselves together on that one road, on that one direction, on that one journey. We're not a a bumper sticker church. I've seen your cars. You don't have bumper stickers on them. That's okay. But if we were, and if you did, and if we wanted a slogan that we'd put on our cars that would capture where we're headed together, the phrase I would want on our cars is, God's global glory or bust. Like let's, we're going after that together. God's global glory or bust. What if it costs us everything? What if we lose everything in the process of going after this purpose together? What if we end up in jail over this? We're going after it. God's heart is to go after it, and he's calling us to go after this together. We want to see God's unsurpassed worth recognized and responded rightly to by our neighbors. Do things trouble you about this world? Is what troubles you most that people all around you do not recognize and respond rightly to Jesus' worth like Jesus deserves? Right? It troubles us when people don't treat people rightly, don't treat people how they deserve to be treated. Well, no one deserves anything in the world more than Jesus deserves worship. And the fact that he's not receiving worship should trouble us. And I'm troubled that it doesn't trouble me more. The way that God's glory spreads through the world is when more people from more nations and more places surrender to Jesus and worship him as their supreme treasure. A world that's bent away from Jesus is not glorifying God. A world that's turned towards Jesus and pursuing him eagerly and passionately is glorifying God. That's the kind of world we're after where people serve one another and bring life to each other because they're all pursuing God together. 
That's why we want to multiply followers of Jesus together. Now, the Bible's clear about something, is that while individual followers of Jesus do glorify God, while individual followers of Jesus do bring him praise, what brings him more praise, what brings him more honor, what affects the world more is a church of followers who are gathered together. When Jesus comes to build his church, he pours out his church, his spirit on the church. The Bible calls the church the body of Christ, where his believers manifest gifts and serve one another in ways that reveal what he's like. After the apostles preached in the book of Acts, thousands were saved and added to the church. It's just simple statistics that when people plan churches, more people start following Jesus more than any other method of evangelism and more than any other method of proclaiming the gospel. Therefore, we've decided that we won't be successful as a church unless we plant churches. We won't be successful as a church unless we adopt the plan of the early apostles that Jesus gave to the apostles to plant all kinds of churches everywhere. The ancient Roman world went from about 20 followers of Jesus to millions of followers of Jesus in about 300 years. The world was changed. The world was transformed through an effort of radical church planting. God's plan A to fill the world with himself is to plant his church in all kinds of places. That's why this church was planted four and a half years ago. Because we wanted more of God in this world, and that's why we want to plant more churches, and we're asking you, will you come together with us for that purpose? That's why our vision as a church is not to grow into a very large church. There's nothing wrong with being a very large church. There's nothing wrong with adding a lot of people in your community. But if your vision stops there, what you'll do is you'll merely add people into your church. You won't multiply the reach of the gospel. You won't multiply followers of Jesus unless you multiply your church. So because we care about our city, we want to plant more churches all over our city. And because we care about the nations who have never heard of Jesus, we want to send our people, we want to send some of you to the nations to plant churches where people have never heard of the name of Jesus. God's plan to change the world through us is to use us to plant churches. While there is so much to do, this direction is going to call us to align our community, our gifts, our resources, our passions, and our time around the shared purpose of filling the world with God's glory. When we think about how do we live our lives, how do we structure our church community, how do we make decisions, what we want is to have a shared vision of wanting God's glory to fill the world, to govern all of the decisions we make. I want it to govern the decisions I make in my life. Well, the next four weeks are going to talk a lot about strategy and how we get there and the different things that we do. Largely, the one thing that will govern whether or not we're successful, whether or not we actually go in this direction, is if our hearts are sold out for the glory of God or not. Like, 
The question I want us to ask, the question I want to ask myself this morning is, am I sold out for the glory of God or not? In a lot of ways, I don't think I am. I need to repent. Already this morning, I saw ways where I sought myself rather than my God. And so we can get across all our T's and dot all our I's, but unless we're willing to pursue God's glory together, unless this is truly our priority, it's not going to happen, church. We're going to fall short. So this call this morning is would you please take inventory of your own heart and your own life and ask yourself, am I sold out for God or not? And in the areas that I'm not, God, would you please cause me to be like that? Would you please want me to want your glory to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea more than anything else in all the earth? Another way to put it is you can't give to other people what you don't possess yourself. If you don't have God's glory, you don't have anything to give to your neighbor to help them. As we together try to seek that we be filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with God, part of it is so that we'd have something to give away. So I invite you with me to take inventory of our lives and to see if our passions and decisions all align with this single direction. One day, Jesus is going to come back and his glory will fill the world perfectly. Right? When he empties the world of everything that's not aligned towards him and fills the world with himself, one day the glory of God will fill the world perfectly. But what he started to do now is give a preview through his church and his people of what the world will be like in the future. His, the, the, the work of rescuing people, the work of spreading himself through the world, through his church, is a preview of what's coming next. God wants to start using us now to change the world into what it will be like one day. All of us want this crooked, broken, fallen world to be fixed and to be put right. And by following Jesus together, we start to get to do that work together right now while we wait for Jesus to come back and finish it. One day, God's people will get to experience God's presence forever. Yet the only way someone else can experience God's presence forever is if they start to experience it now. Our neighbors will not experience God's presence, forever, God's presence with us forever if they don't experience it with us now. So we need to go and multiply. God has transformed the world before through ordinary followers of his. Started off with 12 ordinary men who followed him. The world was never the same. And throughout history, God has again changed cities, changed cultures, changed countries, changed the world through people who were not extraordinary but were given to an extraordinary purpose. Would you give yourself this morning to an extraordinary purpose? Would you give yourself to an extraordinary person? Right? We pastors believe that these cities could be on a different direction than they are on right now. Then the last few years, as human suffering has increased in these cities, as godlessness has increased in these cities, we see a different direction and a different future. Things like this have happened before by ordinary people giving themselves to the greatest purpose. 
Have you ever paused for a moment to dream and imagine what could happen if there were cities planted everywhere, sorry, churches planted everywhere in these cities? History is filled with examples of what happens when people give themselves to things like that. And I just want to invite you with me to dream about what could happen if we went all in for this great person and his great purpose in the world and tried to plant churches everywhere around us. Living for this purpose would require sacrifice on our part. Like you can't live for something greater than yourself without sacrificing. Right? We have to first turn from our sin Our sin will keep us from this. Our sin, more than anything else, will keep us from this. And so will our preferences when they become disproportionate in our lives and keep us from aligning our lives behind this person. So if we're going to go after this together, we're going to have to sacrifice together by aligning behind Jesus and what he's called us to do together as a community. So please, church, our hope and plea with all of you this morning is that you would join us in glorifying God by multiplying worshipers of Jesus and healthy churches in the Twin Cities and beyond. Please join with me in a word of prayer. Father, thank you that you have such a great purpose for us being alive. We want to live for that this morning. We want to leave behind our own meaningless, meaninglessness and purposelessness and put ourselves behind you and the direction that you're headed in this world, God. Would you please use our little church to have a huge impact on our neighborhoods, God? And would you please put us in this direction, God? We ask for your help this morning. And we ask right now that as we worship, we would begin to experience the next degree of your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.